0: Welcome to the Good Christadelphian Talks podcast. I'm Chris. Thank you again for the tremendous support and the suggestions everyone has been sending in. It has been great to see how many people are excited about the podcast starting up and exciting to see what types of classes people are interested in sharing. In our talk this week, we will be listening to a talk by our brother Harry Tennant that was given at the Yungkai Ecclesia in Western Australia. Apologies if that's not how Kai is pronounced. His class is on the topic of the Cities of Refuge. Now, I admit, this was the first Harry Tennet class that I can recall having listened to, so I'm not sure if this class was typical of his style or not. In this talk, Brother Harry takes a deep look at the Cities of Refuge, starting from where the principle of them is first laid out to where the cities themselves are selected. This is what he covers in the first 30 to 40 minutes of his talk. Then he changes his topic slightly for the second half, still looking at how the cities of refuge were meant to work, but he also uses them as an object lesson about the many responsibilities in ecclesial life. He covers baptismal interviews, member transfers, even hosting visiting members, all through the lens of the cities of refuge. Brother Harry makes a strong point during this about how our ecclesias are our own cities of refuge. As we have all sinned and the wages of that sin is death, so that we have to come to our cities of refuge to escape the avenger of blood. Now, fair warning, this is our longest talk thus far, but it's definitely worth it, as Brother Harry makes some really powerful points near the end of the talk. However, no spoilers here, you'll need to listen to it all the way to the end if you want to hear them. And now on to episode number six, I will turn it over to our Brother Harry Tennant for his talk on the cities of refuge
1: sometimes people have difficulty with the law of Moses and with the law that lies under the law of Jesus Christ. Now, the confusion sometimes arises due to an, a misconception of what the two things were about. And it's not a question of one being a law of works and the other a law of grace. That's, that's a distinction, but it's not the basic distinction that there is between the two. And, You know, what was happening under the law of Moses was God giving a law to govern a nation. Now, when you have a nation, everything happens in a nation of three million people. In Perth of 700,000 people, everything happens. So you have to make preparation for everything happening. And we shall be looking at death tonight as one of those things that happens. And so God, in the law of Moses, made provision for the matters of what you do if your um, balustrade collapses on your house and somebody falls down from the roof, or if your bull gores somebody. The law made provision for that. And this wasn't a question now of the individual before God only. This was a national law. And very frequently, comparisons are made between the individual under the law of Christ and the nation under the law of Moses. A bitter comparison will be the nation under the law of Moses and the nations in the kingdom of God. Because there will be order in the kingdom of God and there will be rules in the kingdom of God for behavior that will be more like those of the law of Moses than those which govern the individuals. You see, the individuals in Christ are governed by one law and that is a relationship with God through Christ by faith. Now that's a different relationship from the nation of Israel. The men of faith within Israel were few, but whether or not you were men of faith, you had to go through the precepts of the law, and therefore you had to find yourself coming under the law for a number of circumstances. And it's worthwhile reflecting on these, and all the arguments about in the, under the law they did this, and they put people to death, but we under Christ, are told not to be violent, that comparison is not a valid comparison. The comparison there, you see, is between the individual who has faith, who is serving God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and a nation that's moving and working and doing. And that nation is governed by different things altogether. And it is not that the nation was of faith. And so God had to provide laws whether or not they had faith. And those laws govern the people. And what we're going to have a look at tonight in the cities of refuge is exactly such an instance of circumstances that would arise and they had nothing to do with faith. Unless you made it an act of faith, which a faithful man could do if he happened to be caught up in it. Now you remember that there were 13 tribes, but that only 12 of them were given an allocation of land. And the thirteenth was in fact Levi, and Levi received what was its portion, as it were, by cities being given, forty-eight cities being given, amongst the people. Now they were amongst the people for two reasons. That is to produce an equitable distribution, an equitable contribution from all the tribes, so that the forty cities, forty-eight cities, would not fall burdensomely on uh, one tribe. And secondly, this meant that the Levites were also distributed so that they could be officers among the people. They assisted in the matter of judgment among the people. And that was, that, that was just the administration of law. What happens when the landmark disappears and so on. That, that was just a straightforward matter of what happens. And that's how the law of Moses was supposed to operate. Within that, there were people who indeed had faith and a deeper understanding. And maybe they wouldn't seek to exact that which the law gave them, would be forgiving of heart. That's, that was allowed for within the law. But the law also provided that there would be equitable judgment under the judges by the law of God if people were brought up against it, and were not inclined to be obedient. Now, of those 48 cities, you'll remember that uh, six of them became cities of refuge. Now, this will not be one of those subjects where we should just spend our time wallowing in the law of Moses, uh, which is... um. I don't know, it's a bit, it surprises me how many people spend a lot of time wallowing in the law of Moses and they don't spend it in list, reading and studying the law of Christ. I don't understand that. There's something wrong if we've gone back to the law without taking the essence of it, you see, that is in the law of Jesus Christ. Because the law was imperfect. So you, get, you won't get a perfect picture of Jesus out of the law because the law had a shadow of good things to come and not the very image. And so the perfection is in Christ. And, uh, as I've said before elsewhere, it isn't a question of the law coming first and Christ fulfilling it. The law did not come first. didn't even come first in the Old Testament, let alone first in respect of Christ. Christ preceded the law. Before Abraham was, I am. And that's the basis. In other words, God modeled the law on Jesus, and Jesus was not modeled on the law. And so many times, Folks go into the law and bring all the parts of it and expect Jesus to be modeled and to fit the law. And lots and lots of our arguing amongst ourselves have come because in fact we have tried to fit the law to Jesus in some way or rather to fit him to the law. And we know you, don't, you can't do it in that way for the simple reason that Jesus is everything. So he upsets the whole calendar of the law because he's the day of atonement and the Passover at the same time. And he's the priest and the altar at the same time. And he's the sacrifice at the same time. And he's the mercy seat at the same time. So there's no way in which you you can take all the sequential things of the law and fit them to Jesus. You know? And it wouldn't at all surprise me that our great arguing about he offers first for himself and then for the people, you know, arises purely because we take the law. And of course that question is asked uh, here, out here in Australia, because not because anybody wants to know the answer to that question. That's not the you know. This, this is a country of great question asking. And what you've got to do when you move around Australia is to say, what's your second question? Because it's the second question every time. It isn't the first question at all. What people are interested in is the nature of Christ. Now instead of coming clean and saying that's what they're interested in, they ask the other question. That's a dishonest way of proceeding, whoever you are, isn't it? If you want to ask me a question, ask me directly, or ask your brother directly. Don't go behind his back and ask him one question. As soon as he's answered that, say, right, now what about this? You know, that's, that's not a way to go about it. Of course Christ benefited from his own sacrifice. He was mortal like the rest of us, but it all happened at the same time. That offering of himself and for us happened at the same instant. He benefited first from it. That's a different matter. That's a different matter. And that's not what the quotation in Hebrew says. He benefited first from it. That is true. But being of our nature, he required to be delivered from it. And he was delivered only by the sacrifice of himself. Now, if only we could just take it simply, you know, I'm sure we'd make great progress. However, that wasn't my subject tonight. But it just sort of came in. I've put it out now, right? <laughs> oh, but we've had a look at it. Um, this matter of the cities of refuge was just provided for, first of all, in a very short comment in Exodus. Just have a look at it in 21. Very short comment in Exodus, chapter 21. Now, in, in this little section here, we have... Uh, Just this comment, verse 12. He that smiteth the man so that he die shall be surely put to death. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. Now that's all that was said. It just so happened that there were six cities of refuge, but it just says a place here. And that was the adumbration, that is the outlining of it beforehand, of what was to come. You see, the first verse, 12, really is an extension of a very early comment. If you just come back to the book of Genesis, you'll see that this comment in the book of Genesis, um, chapter 9, is in fact without qualification. So in verse 4 of Genesis uh, chapter 9, we read, But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of every man. At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Now, that doesn't provide for accidental death, does it? It doesn't say, whoso sheddeth man's blood deliberately, all right? That's how it's extended as we go along. Because you had... if you take that law, and that's how law operates, and you know, this is why there are courts of law, and why, in fact, there is statute law, and other types of law, case law, Just because a law might come to bear harshly on somebody for whom it was not originally intended. All right? Now, quite clearly, what was in mind here was the deliberate shedding of blood. It doesn't say that, but the law of Moses, when it comes, opens out and makes provision for that because we've got to deal with a nation where men are going to die accidentally by a variety of things. The other thing to notice here is that the reason for this is that life belongs to God. That's one thing. And secondly, man's life is such that it's of special significance because man is in the image of God. And therefore, if God has made somebody in his image and has given him life, then nobody, absolutely nobody is entitled to take away that life only God is entitled to take it away so the man who sheds it deliberately has done an act that's not not his to do at all in fact he has now injured god in that act because man is made in the image of god and he's done an injury against god he's entered into an area that is his, not into which he's not entitled to answer to enter at all but he may plead that he's entered into it uh, accidentally now the answer to that could be quite clearly, it doesn't matter to the dead man whether you did it accidentally or not, he's dead. Makes no difference as far as the man is concerned, does it? it? You know, it doesn't matter whether you shoot me, or whether I happen to trip over a bit of your garden that's not very tidy. If I die, I die. All right? Now it would be possible to press the law harshly and say, well irrespective of that, this man who was alive, you have occasioned his death whether deliberately or not, and therefore God will require it of you. But he said, no, if it's accidental, then I'll make provision for you. Right, I will appoint thee a place. Now God appoints the place, notice that. And do you notice what it said in Exodus? In that verse in Exodus, which perhaps you lost, which is twenty-one thirteen, and if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, all right, that's a strange expression, isn't it? It's almost like that, that expression that occurs in uh, insurance all over the world. An atheist uses it, and agnostics use it, and all the other people use it. Act of God, right? Which is a way of our saying that it wasn't of our hand, in our hands. I don't think it's used in these circumstances. It might be used of death by typhoon, for example, uh, and that would be an act of God or by earthquake. But here, God is saying that if a man dies and God allows it because he hasn't intervened, then I'll appoint you a place where you can flee. So come now to Deuteronomy chapter 4, and we'll just have a look, and you'll find this subject fascinating. It opens out into ecclesial life. Straight into Ecclesial life as we get along. Well, let's get the essence of it first of all. Deuteronomy chapter 4. There in verse 41, then Moses severed or separated three cities on this side Jordan. You say, what does this side Jordan mean? He says it's on the east bank toward the sun rising. All right. So there they are. There are the three cities. And they are Bezer, and Ramoth and Golan. mentioned and they run down and they're spaced down the east side of the river jordan they were spaced so that whilst they were not just equidistant at least they were cities that could be reached by anybody who lived on the east side of jordan without undue trouble doesn't like having them all in the north if it had been down way up in the north, then it would have been impossible for many people to get there. Instead of which, they are down really uh, in easy places to find on the east side. And there they are, he's now taken up what is, what is in uh, uh, Exodus 21, that the slayer might flee thither which should kill his neighbor unawares, and now it opens it out and begins to tell us something about about motives, alright? In all law It's intention that you've got to prove, right? That you you intended to deceive, that you intended to kill, that you intended to steal. If you're walking through a supermarket and you happen to knock something from the shelf and it falls into your basket, that's a different matter from the man who goes along just tapping things from the shelf into his basket. And he does that deliberately. All right, that's the shop lifter. But the other man, it's it's happened to him accidentally. But when you arrive at the counter or leaving the shop, you're actually in the same state. Each of you has in your bag something that doesn't belong to you and which you haven't accounted for. All right, so it's it's motive that matters. And it's the establishment of motive that uh, really counts. That's why it is very difficult for us to judge our brethren, isn't it? You can judge the externals, and we sometimes do exactly the externals, don't we? What's that doing in your bag? Shouldn't be there, doesn't belong to you, have you paid for it? No, you know, and we'll nail him down, but in actual fact, the person may be entirely innocent. All right? May be entirely innocent. So we've got to watch in the matter, because it is motives that matter, and it's very difficult for human beings to judge motives. Extremely difficult to judge motives. Right, so here it is, the motive is established when it says, hated him not in time past. All right. So in a court of law, if you went in a court of law, and uh, you were accused of injuring somebody, it would be perfectly right for you to call a witness that said, uh, this man is not a violent man, and somebody could say he has never, in my knowledge, ever used violence against anybody. All right. And especially if somebody's been injured, he never, at any time, hated this man, or was unfriendly towards him, or showed any animosity towards him whatsoever. That would be a proper witness. So, that would have to be done in this question, you see. We should see discover that the, these cases are thoroughly investigated. It's not something that just happens, it's, they are thoroughly investigated. All right, that's the little section, then, in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Now, come to Deuteronomy 19. And you see the difference now. All very simple if we just follow the principles as God lays them out and as they're opened out by Moses. So in chapter 19, when the Lord thy God hath cut off the nations whose land the Lord thy God giveth thee, and thou succeedest them, and dwellest in their cities and in their houses, thou shalt separate three cities for thee in the midst of the land. Now we're on the other side, Jordan. And these are the ones in the midst of the land. The other were, were the ones toward the sun's rising, right? But these are in the midst of the land. So that makes up our six. And uh, it says here in verse three, and the language is uh, not altogether clear, but it says in verse three, thou shalt prepare thee away and divide the borders of thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee to inherit, into three parts that every slayer may flee thither. Now, I know this isn't a, a sort of country where people ha- e- have easily other versions available. Has anybody got the revised standard version at all that they happen to be using? All right. Anybody got the new international version? Right? And it's very interesting. You if you asked in Britain, somebody would say, Yes, I've got the revised standard you can refer to, and somebody would say, Yes, I've got the new international version that you can refer to. Um, And sometimes you get help from that. I hadn't got them uh, They were probably in the house where I was, actually. Uh, At least one of those would be. But I didn't uh, uh, refer to it. But it's that little bit that says, Thou shalt prepare thee a way. The revised version says, The way. All right? Now that would suggest that there was a special road prepared toward the city of refuge. Now if you think about that, and you're preparing a road toward the City of Refuge, well, if you live east of Perth, you could have a straight road coming into Perth, but that road is no good to you if you live on the west, is it? So that would suggest that you have to have a road on the west, and that's no good to you if you live on the north or the south. All right, and when you've got river problems, you've got another problem altogether. Well, let's just ignore that. The fact is, it looks as though what is suggested here is a convergence of roads coming in. Now, you can't prove that from this, but uh, it seems to be a logical thing. There had to be a clear way to get into the city of refuge. So God is opening it out now as to how it's going to operate. He said, I'll prepare something for you. Then he said that our place is going to be six places. And here they are, so the six places are, and then when you've got the six places, you discover in fact, these six places are in fact Levitical cities. We shall come across that as we go along. They're not ordinary cities. And then there are special roads built. So we can see now that God is actually preparing it seriously, because it's going to be a practical matter for the person who is in dead trouble. There's just a little point in this chapter. Because when you have a look at the chapter, and what's involved in it, you wonder, in fact, whether God was going to make nine cities of refuge. Right? Now, you might have have got all all sorts of ideas and types fixed on six, you know, six is the number of man and all that. Well, um, I'd, I'd advise you just to have another think. Because it says there, in verse nine... If thou shalt keep all these commandments to do them, which I command thee this day, to love the Lord thy God and to walk ever in his ways, then shalt thou add three more cities. Beside these, that's not the three on the other side, they've already been mentioned in chapter 4. And they're not the three in the midst of the land because we just dealt with those, so the suggestion is there would have been nine cities. Nine cities if they had taken the occupation of all the places. For example, if they'd taken the land of the Philistines fully into possession, right? That's just a little point in passing. But, uh, so there's just that possibility that nine cities were what God uh, had in mind to begin with. Now, when you read this, there's another person been introduced. Let's follow then Deuteronomy 19, I don't know whether you do the Bible this way. I, I just ignore what anybody else has written about, about any subject. I don't mind reading what they've written at some other time. But I would, my method of preparing is to say, all right, what does the Bible say? So I started in Exodus, what does the Bible say? And I write it down. Then I, go, I say, well, did it, yes, here we are, Deuteronomy 4, and I write it down. Then Deuteronomy 19, and I write it down. And that helps me to get the complete picture as God revealed it. This other way, you know, of using other people's notes. All right, whoever they are, whoever no- notes they are, or starting from somebody else's book, is a back to front, going through man way, and you shouldn't go through men to get to the Bible. I'm not getting uh, at anybody in particular on this, because I know folks from Central and Sterling from time to time use other people's notes, but so do folks that come to Yocaine and other places use other people's notes. Not speaking about any one lot of people. Everybody does. Now, that's the lazy man's way. I know it's all right saying, well, somebody's done all the work and they've arrived at it. In actual fact, what they're doing is, when you do this, they're putting you on the tram lines. You know, and that that isn't any good. You remember that little rhyme about the man who who was discussing predestination? Alas, I perceive that I am. You know, determined to move in a predestined groove. Not even a bus just a trap. You know, and that's what it is when you get into somebody else's groove. Because all grooves made by men will at some point be in error. There's only one inspired book, and that's the Bible. So the method that I use, always, is to go to the text and have a look at it, and let it talk to me in the simplest possible way, ask it questions. Right? Then I don't mind having a look at somebody else's afterwards, to see, you know, what they had to say, and then I'd say, well, how do you arrive at that conclusion? How do you arrive at that conclusion? For example, I can leave you with a question about the cities of refuge. Was the border around the city of refuge 1,000 cubits or 2,000 cubits? Now, it's just worth having a look and, and having a go on all the scriptures and see what your answer is. We're not going to give it to you tonight. Right, we're now in verse 3. Thou shalt prepare thee away... Divide the coasts which the Lord thy God giveth thee to inherit into three parts. And here's the new factor, that every slayer may flee thither. And this is the case of the slayer which shall flee thither, that he may live. Whoso killeth his neighbor ignorantly, that is, unawares, whom he hated not in time past. And then we've got illustrations. As when a man goeth into the forest with his neighbor, to hew Wood... And his hand fetches the stroke with the axe to cut down the tree. And the head slippeth from the helve and lighteth upon his neighbor that he die. He shall flee to one of these cities and live, lest, and here's the new man, the avenger of blood. Revised Version leaves out the word the blood there. That's the new man. So there is somebody who is now called the avenger of blood who pursues the slayer. As though it was automatic to do that. As a matter of fact, you don't quite get any instruction as to how this avenger of blood arises in the sense of... You can identify him as to who he is. But it's very difficult just to determine whether the avenger of blood already existed. Whether it was a custom, for example, that there should be an avenger of blood. But we do discover who he is as time goes on. So he says, lest the avenger of blood pursue the slayer while his heart is hot... And overtake him, because the way is long, and slay him. Whereas he was not worthy of death, inasmuch as he hated him not in time past. So, he's not worthy of death, in the sense that he has committed murder. But he has got blood on his hands, because his friend has died, or his neighbour has died. And the avenger of blood says, that's my brother who's dead. And he starts pursuing and if the way were long or crooked or difficult to find the city of refuge, then he could overtake him, and this man who was not worthy of death as a murderer could in fact have been put to death. So then it says, "I command thee, saying, thou shalt separate these three cities." And then there was just the other possibility of um, three others being added in due course. And he goes through this chapter and it opens it out in a in um, in law it's a very interesting matter when you read the Law of Moses. Have you noticed in the Law of Moses that they didn't have prisons? Now that's a very interesting matter. You know, you think of all the other penal systems that there are throughout the world. What you've got in Australia, what we have in Britain, right? The whole of that system depends on having prisons. Places of detention. Now you don't have places of detention under the law of Moses. You had an execution of a law because people died, and it says there, for example, if the man's a murderer, then, verse 13, thine eye shall not pity him, but thou shalt put away the guilt of the innocent blood from Israel, that it may go well with thee. So if he's a murderer, away he goes. Once it was proved and established with the mouth of witnesses, then you execute the sentence and the man dies. But in the other cases, you see, it wasn't just that the man was put in prison. He had to make compensation for what he'd done. Now, these days, prison is is instead of compensation. Under under the law of Moses, you didn't do that. You had to make compensation. If you couldn't pay because you hadn't got the money, then you had to sell your land to do it. In other words, you were truly inconvenienced. And if you had no land or nothing, then you yourself would have to go and sell yourself and become a servant. All right, so you are reduced. That the Lord of Moses had a means of dealing with people. Now, you know, that's not a means, is it, that, that we would want to use as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? But you can see what an advantage it would be in society today. Now, it may well be that when the kingdom comes, that there will be there will be ways, although you know things will be so much different. But there will, the laws of God will be very interesting for us, won't they? Then, and we just to compare them with the with the Law of Moses. Now, this avenger of blood then, I suppose most of us know, some of us know, that it's exactly the same word for redeemer, it's the same word. This word avenger is translated six times avenger, eleven times kinsman, fourteen times redeemer, and seven times revenger. All right. So you can see entirely different, different meanings in a way. You've got an avenger and a redeemer. Now that's a very interesting matter that that's the word. So redeeming was, as it were, buying back. And the avenger of blood, who took the other man's blood because his brother had been killed or his kinsman had been killed, was in fact, in some way, taking that blood back in payment for this. All right. Now, as the idea of redeemer develops, you discover that the redeemer is in fact doing something like that, but it's as though it was the other as though it were the other side of the coin. And when it comes to the Lord Himself, then He provides the blood to redeem the lives of others. It's a process that's totally reversed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our kinsman is Jesus, as we shall see. All right. Now that little definition that we've had is all given in theory. Moses is doing it on the other side of Jordan, before they enter into the land, and so they've got all this work to do before them, and these six cities were not established. But when we move into the next book, it's for real, right? It's for real. Let's go then into Joshua chapter 20. Now this process is is developed. Simply developed. Titles are given. Everything's here. It's all within the uh, the definition. But it's beautifully opened out, and you discover it wasn't a simple process at all. You didn't just flee to the city of refuge, and all was well. It had to be established that all was well. And then there was a term set for your stay in the city of refuge. So let's just read this little section, the beginning of verse 1, shall we? And then I'll uh, make some comments on it. The Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses. Right? Deuteronomy 19, Deuteronomy 4, Exodus 21. So God's referring back. Now, those writings were already in the hands of Joshua, so he could turn them up. So It wasn't that uh, he had to remember it, he could turn them up. So God says, have a a look at those laws again, and get those cities appointed. That the slayer that killeth any person unawares, unwittingly, and uh, and, uh, unwittingly may flee thither, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. Now notice, how it works is now told us. And when he that doth flee unto one of those cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city and declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city unto them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. So he meets the elders and they take him in. So he doesn't just run into the city and say, you know, I'd like to rent a house here. He comes in and the people meet him. It's a Levitical city, so the elders will be Levites. So he wasn't just that he was coming in and it was anybody, this was a Levitical city. So he now comes before people who know the law of God. They know the law, right? So they can administer it because they know it. And the man arrives, breathless and perhaps afraid, and then finally relieved. And then it says in verse 5, and if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand, because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not aforetime. So it's defining it clearly, isn't it? We could almost do this now, couldn't we, having gone through it? You could teach children this, couldn't you? You could have a little city of refuge in a Sunday school and you could teach children how to do it. And he should dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment. So he's going to have to stand for judgment. She didn't just come in and say, good morning, here I am. i have killed somebody unawares. Could I please stay here? And they said, yes, come in. Not at all. There was going to be a judgment. So the whole thing had to be open and manifest. You know. Now, I like things open and manifest. And I, I, I'm sure that's how we should deal with one another. On all the kind of secretive businesses that go on. You know, I just don't like those. Because I don't think it's right before God that that's how we should deal. You know, we should deal openly with one another. Totally openly. So that if we if we need help, we get it. And if we're in error, then we, we are instructed. But not belabored, we're helped. But not that somebody comes asking you, you know, something. And underneath something else all the time. That's a Joab business. How are you? All right. Well, that's that's Joab. Anybody can do that. All right. Now that that's, that's that practice is no good at all. What we have to do is is the other kind of uh, other kind of work, which is totally because the thing is, brethren and sisters, is if we deal openly, we have nothing to fear. I was saying to the young people the other day. Just think how much you've got to remember once you start telling lies. You've got to remember the lies you told. And since they're not true, you've got to remember them. Whereas with truth, you don't have to do that. You're not, your mind isn't all cluttered up with all those things. And my mind isn't cluttered up, you know, with those things. Because I I just refuse to go down the road of, of being pressurized by any kinds of system. If you're perfectly open, before the word of God and before God, life is easy. And it removes... All the fears. All the fears. Because you stand before God. And in prayer, everything is before him every night, openly. It's open to him in any case. But the fact is, when you're doing it openly, it makes life right. And that's how it should be. All right, so there had to be a judgment in this particular case. Then he could stay there, it says, until the death of the high priest in those days. And then he could return to his home after that. And here they are, here are the cities that were appointed in the midst of the land. They're Kedesh in Galilee, Shechem in the Mount Ephraim, and then Hebron down in the south. All right? So there they are. And the others on the other side are then mentioned, and they're the ones that we've already seen, and that they are Bezra and Ramoth and uh, Golan. So there they are, all established now, so the law is fully known and the people would now be able to administer that which is here. And when, In chapter 21, by the way, you'll discover that what you have are the cities of the Levites. And if you go through them, you'll be able to count and find these cities. They're all there, and you can start underlining the cities, the names of them that are there. For example, Hebron's in verse 13, and Shechem in verse 21, and Golan's in verse 27, and Kedesh is there in verse 32, and Bezer is in verse 36, And Ramoth is in verse 38. So they're all there, and they did it then. So they established those cities. So there they are, all set up. Now, let's just forget the cities of refuge. And let's take the Ecclesia. Now, the Ecclesia, in one sense, in one sense, is our city of refuge. All who come within the Ecclesia have indeed been involved in that which the avenger of blood would seek. We are all sinners, right? And the wages of sin is death, so death is in pursuit of us. So when we come into the truth and enter into the Ecclesial life, we are now in the visible sense within our city of refuge. I know the highest sense of which I shall speak is Christ. But in the visible sense, we're in the city of refuge. Now, have you noticed that there is a procedure, then, for coming into the Ecclesia? Now, as a matter of fact, uh, and it's just interesting just to mention this, lots of Australians travel the world, all right? As two young Australians said to me when I said, uh, well, how on earth do you manage to travel? You know, you're 17 and 18. How do you manage to travel and come here to Britain like this? I was 34 before ever I went abroad. Oh, they said we think the world owes us something. Well, I suppose, perhaps that's what you feel like if you live in Australia, that the world owes, I don't know what it can possibly owe you, because you've got everything, you know. However, that's what they wanted. But, lots of Australians arrive without any letter of recommendation from their ecclesia. All right? They just turn up and say that I'm brother so-and-so and -and so-and-so. All right, we're accepted in the breaking of bread. If you read how Brother Thomas traveled around, when he arrived in New York, you remember from the Marquis of Wellesley that he thought was going to go to the bottom. When he arrived in New York, he got letters of recommendation in his pocket. He wasn't in the truth, but he had letters of recommendation. And so he was able to go to two people. I think the first one was the head of the Baptist Union, and the second one was a medical place. So he was able to go along and produce a letter that said, that he was in good standing. Now, I'm all in favour of people having letters to show that they're in good standing. All right? And and it helps a great deal. And when we transfer between ecclesias, and I take it that this happens in Australia, that you have letters of recommendation between ecclesias. Now that's a good thing. That is right. Follow the procedure then in in Joshua 20 and you'll see that it's all here. All right? So he arrives and uh, he turns up at Stirling's there in verse 4 when he said, uh, I want to join Stirling meeting. Well, he's got to see the elders or the equivalent of the elders. All right? Because it's the elders that should take him in. The ecclesia is going to receive him in, but the, the elders are the ones who do it on behalf of the ecclesia. And that happens, does it not, when somebody wishes who is to come right from outside and they wish to be a member. Then the elders take them in. They are the ones who carry out, or the appointed people carry out, the, the ordinary way of inquiry. Now, you know, some people say, well, we're not very well. We think we ought to drop this idea of talking to people who want to be baptized. But just let them come in. Because who are we to interview them? Now, I know that some interviews are grueling affairs as though it was a kind of examination that was taking place, and it's not an examination. It's the testimony of an examination to see whether we get 95 percent whether we can recite all the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel. All right? Any parrot can do that. We don't baptize parrots. <laughs> but we do need a knowledge of the Word of God. All right? Like lots of interviews that take place. And I I don't know whether interviews in this part of the world take place publicly. Would somebody say whether they do? They don't. Well, they do in Sydney, that's right. And they do, uh, they they did in certain parts of Britain, they all took place publicly. In Sydney now it's optional. I think you can actually uh, do it in public if you wish, or, or you can actually say that you don't wish to do it in public, you wish to testify before Brethren. What I would say about interviewing for baptism, and for the young folks here, it's going to be your job in due course. What are you trying to find out? That's the question. What are you trying to find out? Now don't, don't make yourself God. Because you're not God. And you're not Jesus. And you've got no authority. As authority, all that is happening is that somebody wishes to join a Christadelphian meeting. That's what we're settling. We're not settling the person's eternal faith before God. That doesn't, doesn't fall into the hands of men. Even when we withdraw from somebody, we haven't determined their faith. That's for God to do. What we have determined is a relationship with the ecclesia. That's all. You can't determine more than that. If you read very carefully Robert Roberts on that subject, he definitely comments. Sometimes we behave as though we were God. As though we were pronouncing was the final judgment of God. That's terrible, isn't it? That anybody should think that that was right. What are we trying to do then, what we're trying to find out first of all, is do you believe the things concerning the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ? That's the first thing. And so we discuss that. Now I know it's not very easy as a matter of fact, but um, I, when I interview people, I never go through the same pattern, never, because what I would ask is, well why do you want to be baptized? Now if the person says in answer to that, I want to get out of darkness into light, then I would follow from that answer and ask all the other questions based on that. I don't say, you've got to answer the questions in the order that I'm putting them to you. Because that's not right. He, what the person is doing is to make his own witness, right? Better to get it from him, because it, it, once you do it with your questions, he'll give you your answer. Alright? And if you're in Nigeria, you do that all the time. matters, is, isn't it, the life that follows baptism. Now, usually all the negatives are given. Don't marry out of the truth, don't do this, don't do what. But the thing is, what do we do? You know, we don't vote, we don't fight. Well, that's... He's wanting to know what to do, not not what don't I do. You know, and, that, and very frequently when people ask you, you know, what do Christopians believe? Well, we don't believe in the Trinity, we don't believe in the devil. What do you believe? Now, really, we ought to be positive about what we believe. And that ought to be, we ought to be strong, what our faith is. And I believe that in an interview there is a lot of help to be given in this matter of the life. So that it's all brought out of what it is to live as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he stands at the entering of the gate. He hasn't come in the city yet. And he declares his cause. Right, so I want to join this ecclesia either from outside or from another ecclesia. And the elders examine it and then it says, notice in verse 4 of Joshua 24 they shall take him into the city. Right? So they meet him outside the city and they take him in and he goes in with the elders. Right? Not going in alone now, he's going in with them. They shall take him into the city. And do you know that word take there. That's the word Asaph. That's the heading of a lot of psalms. You know those psalms that got Asaph at the heading? That's it. That's the word. And it means to gather. So what the elders do is to put their arms round and bring in to the city. They don't just stand there and like a signpost and just point the way, Because as we shall discover, they have now accepted fellowship. Which is why the questioning takes place. You know, so when I interview people, I say to them, look, the reason for our interviewing is this. We want you to be absolutely certain that you know all about us. And we want to be certain that you are the kind of person that we are. And want so to be. And that's the reason why we talk. You can ask us any questions. You know, interviewing brethren don't do that. You know, they think it's all, all a one-sided matter. It isn't a one-sided matter. The person's life is now going to be changed. He's entitled to ask any question he wishes. Right? And I, I say to folks who come to our community that our community is not perfect. I've got to. Alright? Now that's an important matter. You've got to do and it when somebody comes to Australia, haven't you? You've got to do it. You know, whenever, when anybody wants to emigrate, they, they come and say, what's life like in Australia? So you've got to say what it's like. They say, never. Never. You know? And that's without passing judgment, because, it, as I say, it's totally unique. Totally unique. doesn't exist anywhere else. And uh, so, you know, they try to understand it. They, they're, they're puzzles. They, they, they really are puzzles. And you say, well, look, you've really got to accept the situation, that's how it is, and let's not pass judgment on it, let, if you want to go and live there, that's the situation in which, amongst which you're going to live. Make the best of that situation. As Isaac Collier said, if anything is under suspicion, raise it above suspicion by your behaviour. Now that's the way. What the other chap's behaviour, by your behaviour. Raise it above suspicion. And I respect my brethren, and I respect them in Central, and in Sterling, and in Yocan. In all three places. And I don't pass judgment. That's not my concern. I'm not I'm, not, I'm not an elder to judge. And I'm not gone. What you have to do is to respect your brethren. You may not be able to understand their situation. You're not in it. So you can't understand it. You don't know the history. But if we learn to have respect one for another. It makes great progress. Alright then this word gather there. Now may I just show you a couple of the Asaph Psalms. Put a little marker in uh, your Joshua passage because you're going to come back to it, God willing. Come to Psalm 27. In fact, before I, before I do this one, would you like to sing that, sing that second hymn? I'll you what I, my problem is. See, I chose all these hymns. And by the way, brethren, from Central, thank you, Sue, from Central and from Sterling, I chose most of them so we could all sing them. Have you noticed that? And I set out doing that. Might not be always be able to do that, but I set out not to embarrass anybody. All right? So I hope we all sing them. I may occasionally have slipped up because I haven't got the old hymn book with me, but generally speaking, I've chosen them so that everybody can sing them. Right, the next one then. At home, you see, we sing that second hymn after the reading. It wasn't really meant to be put in between, but we'll put it in between. Hymn number 11 then, God is my strong salvation. Psalm 27. Now here's, it doesn't say it's an Asaph psalm But I want just to bring you to where the the word occurs Here it is, it's in verse 10 When my father and my mother forsake me Then the Lord will take me up And that's it, gather me up Now there are some, there may be some in this room Whose parents have forsaken them all right? We have one sister who regards Sister Bernice and me as, in fact, she writes to us as, uh, my second father and mother, bracket, my first, really, bracket. That's just because her father and mother disowned her when she came into the truth. All right? So she wanted a father and mother. And, uh, well, that's what we are. But I take this to mean, and this is what we all experience. Finally, when our parents die, and that's always hard, when it happens, you know, men sometimes feel it's not going to be hard. When your father dies, you remember, and remember repeatedly. All right. God gathers us up. He's our everlasting father, isn't he? And he takes care of us. Now, this is a great consolation, you know. We're never forsaken. I will never, never leave thee, nor will I in any wise forsake thee. Now, you can't have a greater promise than that. I will never, never leave thee, he says, nor will I in any wise forsake thee. We're poor imitators of God, aren't we? Eh? Poor imitators of God. We leave one another. All right? All right. The great thing about friendship is when the friend stands by you when you've done wrong, isn't it? All right, when, when it comes to going into court and he's still there and he still stands by you, all right? Marvellous when the friend goes through and the people say about the friend, oh, we must be one like him then. But he isn't. But he's going to stand by him because he's made that bond in friendship's name, and therefore he's going to stand by him. Now, when you've made it in the name of a brother, you've got to stand, because a man is always a brother, isn't he? He doesn't not become a brother because he sins. Paul says in Corinthians, if he that is called a brother does so and so, so he never loses that uh, that title. What we've got to try to do is to imitate God in that which he does. Psalm 50, you remember this one. This is and this is a Psalm of Asaph at the heading. All right, and it says in verse five, "Gather my saints together unto me, those of have made a covenant with me by sacrifice." So there is a gathering in this Psalm. I'm not even sure that's the same Hebrew word, but taking the heading of Asaph here, the idea is carried. And this is this is going to be when he comes to judge the earth. By the way, in verse four, so at the end, God is going to gather his saints together. That was in Matthew 13 that we read uh, on Sunday evening, last evening, if you remember. He shall gather them and the wheat into his garner. Well, it's this, all right, and it's being faithful to the end that will cause us to be accepted. Psalm 73, just have a look at some of these. worth your while taking these these, um, Asaph psalms for yourself and read them quietly. There is somebody called Asaph, all right, if you want to sort of uh, develop it as a name. But the fact is, it is um, an idea that's here. And in this 73rd is the idea of uh, drawing near to God and discovering, in fact, that all your questions are answered only when you go into the sanctuary. In the beginning of this psalm, you remember, he got a problem. And the problem was, um, all right, why do the wicked prosper? And why do the righteous seem to suffer? Well, there's no answer to that question, you know. You can't answer that question. When somebody asks you that very question, you can't, you can't answer that question. As people will answer, ask that question. You know, the mother who lost four children in the bus accident in France,
0: four children.
1: When well, she came to your house and said, why? You're still just saying we're all mortal. You know, man's mortal. Is it? That doesn't answer the question. Uh, that doesn't answer the question because it happens in the truth, doesn't it? But it's the, it's, sometimes it is the good family where the wife dies of cancer and it's the other family you know you thought that well things might happen there because things weren't going right but they seemed to prosper well that was David's problem he hadn't got any answer not humanly but he had an answer when he went into verse 17 until I went into the sanctuary of God and understood their revised version latter end that's what matters that's all that matters the latter end All the intervening things don't matter in the end. They're painful to bear if we're bereaved when we are young. Or, you know, we have sufferings. But what is the latter end? That's all that matters. Because in the end, God should wipe away every tear. And if we're right at the latter end, then all our answers will be of God. You see, in Psalm 77, he does the same thing again. Because he says, if you notice... Verse 13, thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. and You can't di- you can't divine the Lord's way without going to the sanctuary, to the very heart of things. It's only when you come to the mercy seat and the glory of God together that you've arrived at the understanding of all that there is in God. Because that's where the name of God is fully revealed, in that one place. But you find all these uh, psalms go on and on. There are, there's a whole series of them, of um, the Asaph psalms. So might I recommend them to you, Asaph Psalms, have a look at them at home, and see if you can get some kind of theme that runs through them. It's a little study that anybody can conduct. You can do it yourself, sister, it's not hard. Just in those moments when you've got to take the weight off your feet, get your Bible out, and have a look at the Asaph Psalms. Now let's go back to Joshua, because you'll discover that there's another deliberate act that they've got to do. It's ever so interesting. These elders, Right, I talked about these on Saturday, but now we're just having to look at them in another function. So they take him into the city. All right, they baptize him and say, well, there you are, you're in. Is that what they do? Oh, no, they don't. They take him into the city and they give him a place. Now, the number of people who baptize them and then leave them, you've got to give them a place. Everybody likes a place, don't they? You can see the faces when they come around there, you know, and say, Oh, who's sitting in my seat? You know, we notice that. All seats free, no collection, but who's sitting in my seat? All right, I do exactly the same. You know, I have a look as well. We don't really mean it, but but the fact is we all like to have a place, don't we? You see? Now, I think, you you see, what's happening now, the elders are now taking the responsibility of fellowship. So they give him a place. Now that's very beautiful. Now do we do this with everybody who comes into the Ecclesia? Do we make quite sure they've got a place? Or do we just leave them high and dry? You know, that, that it's somebody else. Or they'll look after them. Uh, is that how we behave? We shouldn't do that. Now the way to give people a place is to make them feel at home. And they should be in your home from time to time. All right? From time to time. There's not enough, as I was saying on Saturday, not enough of this matter of that kind of hospitality shown. Right? Now we've received a lot of kindness while we're here. And that kind of hospitality is shown. Now we've got to extend that to other people. And it makes a difference, you know, when you have people in your home. You'd be surprised what a difference it makes to your home, not only to them. Now you know the verse about Moses on this, don't you? It's one of my favorite verses of scripture. I've got one or two of these favorites. Exodus 33, have you seen it? Oh, marvelous, marvelous. If you want lifting up, absolutely exalting. It's just here. Now we're going to all these complicated things. We're specialists in making the simple complicated. You know, if it can be said in plain English, then say it in Hebrew. Right. Well, none of us know Hebrew, you know. And In fact, somebody came in walking, he, talking Hebrew, we would say, uh, pardon, <laughs> because we don't understand. Now, I, I consult Hebrew. I, I look it up. I'm Greek. But I don't use it in addresses. It would all sound very clever, wouldn't it, if you use it. But what's the point? We can speak English, and if you can't understand it in English, you can't understand it. Because the other is only a kind of english Anglicized matter, you see. You use a bit of Hebrew, but we, don't, we never pronounce it like the, like the Hebrews pronounce it. We just pronounce it like an Englishman pronounces it. That's what Englishmen do when they, you know, they don't want, can't speak foreign languages. There are only two ways to do it, speak slowly and shout. That's how... Then they'll understand English. That's... You can see them doing it. You know, when suddenly you meet somebody who can't speak English, you start, and you speak very slowly. When he doesn't understand you, then shout at him thinking that he's going to understand but it's uh, this matter of complicating things now just look at this very beautiful record Moses is wanting help and he's asking God for it now God's been giving him help because in verse 11 it says that the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend that's an astounding verse of scripture but Moses wanted more than that. He wanted, he wanted to enter into that which we've had from Psalm 73 and Psalm 77 show me thy way. You know what it says in the psalm? He showed his way unto Moses his acts unto the children of Israel. That's all they could understand acts. But Moses saw the way of God. Runs right through from Genesis straight through to the end. The way that becomes the new and living way in Christ Jesus. So he asks for it, there now, in verse 13. If I have found grace in thy sight, show me thy way, that I may know thee. You know this is, this is language of the highest kind. This is life eternal to know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So, so Moses is asking the essential question. This is the question we've got to ask in the end that he this and knoweth me Jeremiah 9, that's the thing you've got to know he said, don't glory in your wisdom or your might or your power, but you understand and know me so the conversation continues and in verse 17 the Lord says, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken by the way, may I just ask you to go through scripture with the life of Moses and see how many times God says, I will do what you have said it's amazing that God the God of heavens should ever say to a man I'll do what you've said as he says there isn't it I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken marvellous wonderful condescension on the part of God for thou hast found grace in my sight and I know thee by name he called him Moses in heaven do you know that? Now, if that's not happening in heaven about you and about me, then we are not in the purpose of God. Saul, Saul, Elijah, Elijah, what doest thou here? He knows them all by name. Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He knows them all by name. Now we've got to learn, brethren and sisters, to have this acquaintance with one another. It's... It isn't an acquaintance that's a theoretical one it's a real living acquaintance that we've got to have with one another. But follow it because God goes a marvellous step further. Verse 19 And he said, I beseech thee Moses, just like Abraham he always takes that which God offers and goes that step further in his asking. He says, I beseech thee show me thy glory. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before me, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. That was in our readings yesterday in Romans 9, wasn't it? He said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, now you couldn't have anything more beautiful could you just for God to say there is a place by me not over there don't sit down over there there is a place he said by me now brethren and sisters that's what there is in the city of refuge that's what the elders were doing they were saying there is a place by us and they shall give him a place not with them but with us there's a place by me and you know that word there, and it says, I shall stand upon a rock. It's the rock. All right. So the place next to God is on Jesus Christ, isn't it? That rock is Christ. And there's a place by God. Now that's our assurance. Now, if you don't feel mightily helped by that, brethren and sisters, I don't think anything can help you, but I'm sure you do. Well, God says that to us. There's a place by me. All right. Now, come back to Joshua, time's finishing, but we must finish, but just come back to Joshua 20, because it's not that like we haven't said it all. And you've just got to loosen scripture like this, let it talk to you, just let it breathe to you. It says you give him a place that he may dwell among you. So he's actually going to feel that he's at home. You know, you can have a guest into your house, can't you, and say, sit down there, so give him a place. I hope you're going soon. all right but this is that he may dwell it's a permanent place so long as he's there that place is his now I've had that experience you know maybe it happens here in Perth when people come to this place I had to spend a lot of time when I was a young man away from home in fact I left home when I was 19 so I never really went back after that and uh but there were places to which I went where a brother and sister would say this home is yours whenever you want it just come in anytime just come in and so they said there's a place with us anytime you want it and they meant it and I did that in certain places and there were people whose homes were just like that I remember arriving in in another city and the brother said "Uh, well he said there you are I said that's the key to the car just outside he said that's yours why you're you Just just you and this part of the house is yours now this kind of of kindness this isn't lavishness that's not it brethren and sisters it's not being lavish that's that's a different matter you see you can have a place by somebody who is terribly poor but if they are sharing with you that which is theirs their two mites All right, that's it. You have a place with them, and that's fellowship. So are we making people at home in our ecclesia? Do they dwell among us? Now, to make people dwell, we've got to make sure they're there. We've got to ASAP them, gather them in from time to time. You know, we're not gathered in once and for all, are we, any of us? None of us is just... We didn't just come to the door, and we've never even strayed near to the boundary. Everybody strays near to the boundary sometimes. And there are some people who felt like going out of the door... I've had enough of this. want to go out of the door. Now we've got to make sure that in our welcoming and in our care we call them back. Whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Remember what David said to um, Abiathar when he arrived with the ephod. He said, Abide thou with me and thou shalt be in safety for he that seeketh thy life Seeketh my life. This is just like the Avenger of Blood situation. But with me thou shalt be in safety. All right? And he was an outlaw. But he shared what he had. And there was a place by David for Abiatha. All right? And so what more? What was more? That became a blessing for David then. You see, when we share, we are blessed. You know, the people who think that by sharing they're losing. And some people have that idea of marriage, you know. Ah, oh, well, now I've got to share everything. You know? Now, in actual fact, of course, what marriage is, is total giving. And you receive a thousandfold by total giving. And that's what we should learn about marriage. And young people, I just commend it to you. All right, just uh, just our final thoughts then. I'll go on all, you know, till 11 o'clock on to of Refuge, because it's that kind of subject see, Christ is our redeemer, our avenger of blood, isn't he? But if you take those six cities and you have a look at their names, you discover that they talk to you about fellowship. Here are their titles. Kedesh means holy. That's what our fellowship is. Biza means strong. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ is. Ramoth means high and lifted up, the heights. That's what we, where we are in the truth. We are lifted up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Shechem means shoulder, where he bears us and carries us. And he brings us to Golan, which is the circle, the fellowship, where we all are. And Hebron means fellowship, the company. It also means the bridge, by the way, the ford that carries you over. So it's got a, a double meaning, that word Hebron. Well, there they are. Have you ever thought why Jerusalem wasn't a city of refuge? don't tell me that it wasn't there at the time, that's true but of all the places to be a city of refuge you'd have thought in the end it was going to be Jerusalem, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you really have thought that there couldn't have been a more, a better choice for a city of refuge than Jerusalem? Well I think it is in actual fact. I think the other six, you see are running down the two sides and Jerusalem is in the middle there it is it is the place If you'll come with me to uh, Isaiah 26, we'll just conclude on this. We read this together, didn't we? And I do thank the young brother who read it for us. All right, Isaiah 26. I've got one other verse after this to look at, but this little chapter here has got some uh, interesting things in it. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Alright? So it's no use being in the city of refuge if if it wasn't properly maintained, was it? If the avenger of blood could get in and take you, then it wasn't properly maintained. Just one little comment, by the way. If you read the record very carefully in the Deuteronomy and Joshua record, it wasn't that the elders of the city of refuge decided the issue themselves entirely. Any more than when there is a transfer between one Ecclesia and another. That just the receivers determine. It's got to be determined by both. And if you read the record carefully, I'm pretty sure that the investigation of the man as to whether, in fact, he killed unwittingly was carried out in the presence of the elders of that city and of this. In other words, there is concurrence between the two. You know, sometimes Ecclesias arrive at different judgments about certain matters. Now, some people believe we should always arrive at the same judgments. All right. I spoke to a young man the other the other day who came to us from another fellowship altogether. All right. I said, well, how do you decide matters? He said, we always decided them by a 100% vote. Unanimous. I said, well, how did you get to a unanimous vote then? He said, well, we voted, first of all, and we got 70 and 30% soon as we'd done that, we then got hold of the thirty per cent and said, Are you going to vote with the seventy or are you going to leave us? <laughs>
0: so
1: they got a hundred per cent vote. Either way. You see, either way they had a hundred percent vote. But what they'd done was to lose thirty percent. You know, now that really, there isn't such a thing as a hundred percent vote. Nobody's a hundred percent in the ecclesia on any issue. What we have to learn is to submit to the ecclesia. And sometimes the Ecclesia will make a decision that we don't like, but we submit. Provided it's not a decision about our salvation. All right, then the Ecclesia shouldn't be making that because it should be on the same basis of faith. All right, but from time to time we shall have things that we don't like. All Ecclesiastes. And we have to learn just to submit. But this is a different city in Isaiah 26. Marvellous city. And there are two little expressions in it. You may know them. They may be quite commonplace to you. But I'll just have a look at them. I shall have to mention two Hebrew words, but it's not because I can pronounce them. It just so happens that uh, if you just read, for example, uh, um, in verse 4, you've got a job in reading that. You know, For example, brethren who read that and put the Hebrew words in Which uh, somebody tell me how, how do you read that in, in Central or Sterling what do you do when you read that aloud because you probably read uh, the Yahweh don't you? you? just tell me what you read I'm not catching anybody out We're in the capital. We're in the yeah what do you do with the second one there? No, 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 no. no. Uh, yeah, that's well, all right. Yeah. No, I'm not catching him out. I'm not catching him out I, because, as a matter of fact, he he is quite right. But it just so happens that there are two parallel expressions in this little section, and uh, you know whether we read the word or whether we think it. As long as we're both doing the same thing. Um, it's when we all insist that everybody does the same thing, that, you know, we have problems. But we've got to understand what we're reading, in any case, all of us, and not just dismiss it. So it's not just saying, well, it might as well have been God there. That God, it couldn't have been God. God put Lord there, and he means what he says. So, we've got to think in those terms. Right, in verse 3, it says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace. Now, that's the first double expression. And you know what the expression there is? Shalom, Shalom. It's the same word repeated. Right? That's perfect peace. So the Hebrews did it by repetition. Alright? Now how are you going to ensure that? Just follow it through. Thou wilt keep him in Shalom, Shalom, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in, and then it is, Yahweh, forever. For in, Yah Yahweh so the name is repeated now it isn't Yahweh Yahweh it is Yah Yahweh I think if you look in your um, revised version uh, margin you'll find that it just uh, says what it is alright and it's the same word by the way in chapter 12 verse 2 if you'd like to have a look at it which is connected with salvation isn't that, that's the point about this it's the double emphasis and it's, it's important so, you know, those who read it aloud and put the name in, though they may have a problem with it, they've got a point in pointing uh, to us here, uh, away. All right, now verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for Yah- Yahweh is my strength. All right. I know there's discussion as to whether it's Yahweh or Jehovah. I'm not going to enter into that argument. Strangely enough, John Thomas used Jehovah in the very last thing he wrote just before he died. So he, he hadn't settled it, even even by that time. I don't think that matters as to whether it's as to which of the two we're going to pronounce, it's what lies behind it. But do you notice? Know For in Yah Yahweh is my strength, and he's become my salvation. So it's salvation as well. Exactly what's been talked about in, in Isaiah twenty two. So God reinforces, as it were, by doubling the name. But he does it in the first one by putting the short name before the long. The short is there just before the long. Alright. So as he said, shalom, shalom, so he repeats his name twice, as though God is giving us the, the double emphasis. It's like Jesus saying in the New Testament, verily, verily, which is our Amen, our Amen. It's the uh, Isaiah 65 expression. Alright. So there's, this is our city of refuge, then, of Isaiah chapter 26. It's the final and the perfect peace that we shall receive in the day of Christ. How is it assured? The last reference, and just two minutes. Hebrews 6 Hebrews 6 cities of refuge is obviously a reference to it without developing the matter and without telling us although he has been about the death of the high priest because that must have been a puzzle mustn't it why can I stay until the death of the high priest you know then he was free when the high priest had died for us now it's so clear isn't it hey? the high priest is the one who's prepared the way for us so here is god repeating again not this time shalom shalom or yah yahweh but repeating by two immutable things there they are in verse 18 by two unchangeable things and what are the unchangeable things they are one the promise that he made, and two, the oaths that he gave to reinforce it. God doesn't need to give an oath, does he? Because if God promises, it's certain. But for our sake, he said, he gave it by an oath. By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. All right, so that's how he gave it. And now what have we got? We've got Isaiah 26, in which it was impossible, verse 18, for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is before us, set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. With a Christ, the forerunner, is for us entered. Even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we've got the mighty lifeline anchored in us, and the other end is in heaven, with Jesus. Now nothing can go wrong, can it? The, the actual other end of this line is, is at the immortal end. It's at the Jesus end, it says, doesn't it? Which is entered into that which is within the veil. It's gone into the Holy of Holies. So the other end is in the Holy of Holies. And that's not heaven. He's not, not just using heaven as the Holy of Holies, you see. Because he's talking about entering within the veil. He's actually telling us of that state, which is immortality and glory. Because that's what was beyond in the Holy of Holies. That was the place of gold and of glory. Right. Well, that's where Christ is. And the other end is with us. And you say, well, why then is the other end in heaven? And then it says, we said in the exhortation yesterday, the other end is in heaven for us. It isn't that that's the end for Jesus. That's the end for us as well. We're going to share what's at the other end of the line, provided we keep the anchor. And that's all that we've got to do in life, is to keep the anchor. Hold fast to the anchor. And we're in the city of refuge. And we shall be finally there in the end. And notice the word in verse 20. He's a forerunner. The others are coming afterwards. It's like the first fruits, right? It's a guarantee that one is immortal. It's a guarantee that the rest will be. So shall we just hold on to what we've got? We've got a marvellous hope, brethren and sisters. Wonderful hope. And for those who haven't got it yet, who are not baptised, all I would say is, we're looking forward to the time when you share it. You'll have no other place. God is saying to you, there's a place by me. That's what he's saying. And it's in the same place where the rest of us are. It's in the refuge of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's the truth that we share. And it's, that's why I chose the subject. And I hope it was hope, uh, helpful for the evening.
0: Thank you for listening to the Good Christadelphian Talks podcast. Please subscribe for new episodes and leave a review in Apple Podcasts, whichever service you use to help people find the show when they search for it. If you enjoyed this talk, share it on social media so other people can hear it too. For show notes and links to the talk you just listened to, visit our show page at anchor.fm gct. We encourage everyone to share their thoughts on the talk from this week with everyone on Facebook or Instagram, where we are at Good Christadelphian Talks, or on Twitter where we are at GCT underscore podcast. If you know a great talk, we want to know about it too. Send a suggestion to goodchristadelphiantalks at com or message us on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless and talk to you next week.